Get our Bibles out this morning. Proverbs chapter 6. So much good stuff in here. We've preached our way all the way up pretty much to verse 20 here. We looked at seven things that God hates. I encourage you to get into that series if you weren't here for that. You can grab it online, get it in your spirit. God hates things that hurt people because he loves people, amen? But we should love people too, and we should want to keep them from the things that destroy their spirits. And looking at Proverbs 6 here, starting in verse 20, the next 15 verses are going to be a warning about sexual immorality. We're going to specifically look at adultery and all the hooks and snares that go along with sexual sin. So let's pray that the Lord would bless our time together and bless the word. And then I'm going to read, if we get a little more light up here, I don't know if we didn't pay the bill or they shut the transformer down, but um, there it is, there it is, and the old man will see. Um, Father, we thank you this morning for all your goodness and all your love for us, for the breath that we find in our lungs this morning, for our bodies that are healthy. And Father, even where we struggle, Lord, we know that your grace is enough for us. Holy Spirit, open up our minds and our hearts and drive the truth of the word deep into us that we would not be hearers only, but doers, that we would seek you while we can find you and we would have oil in our lamps and hearts that are enthralled with you and eyes that are looking for your coming. We pray all this in Jesus' name and the church said, amen. Proverbs chapter 6, starting in verse 20, beware of adultery. My son, Keep your father's command and do not forsake the law of your mother. Bind them continually upon your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. When you are awake, they will speak with you. For your commandment is a lamp and a law and a light. Reproofs of instruction are in the way of life. Listen to verse 24. This is going to be for future times together, God willing. To keep you from the evil woman, from the flattering tongue of a seductress. Do not lust after her beauty in your heart, nor let her allure you with her eyelids. For by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread. An adulteress will prey upon his precious life. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? So it is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her shall not be innocent. Behold, do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he's starving. When he is found, he must restore sevenfold. He may have to give up all the substance of his house. Whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. He who does so destroys his own soul. Wounds and dishonor he will get, and his reproach will not be wiped away. For jealousy is a husband's fury. Therefore, he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will accept no recompense, nor will he appease those, though you give him many gifts. So we're looking at verses 20 through 23 today. It starts off very simply saying, my son. These next 15 verses are going to give us warnings about the seductive nature of sexual sin. The text centers around adultery. Adultery, unlike the sin of uh, fornication, which is sex between unmarried people, is a sin that occurs when someone is married and they break their marital vows and have sex with someone outside of their marriage. Both fornication and adultery are so serious that according to 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, they literally put our souls in eternal danger. Now listen to 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. 
do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? That's quite a start to the verse, isn't it? Guys, God wants us to know something. The unrighteous, those who practice sin, will not enter the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortionists will inherit the kingdom of God. God wants us to know that practicing habitual sin will destroy our soul. There's many people who live in habitual sin and practice it, and they say, well, I'm a Christian, and the word of God challenges that and says that if you're in these lifestyles and give yourself over to them, your soul is in eternal peril. Now, listen to me. We love sinners, and we love people who struggle with all kinds of sin, amen? And sin is sin, and Jesus is the remedy for it. But we can't pretend that sin has no consequence. And people say, well, just be loving. Just be kind. Just tell people it's all going to be okay, and it's all going to work out. Why lie to people who could stumble into eternity without Jesus, caught up in habitual sin that will cost them their souls? That's not loving at all. That's cowardice. That we don't want to be able to stand up and say, the, the word of God gives this as a warning. We want to just say, oh, everybody, all dogs go to heaven, kumbaya. It's not what the Bible teaches. All of us are sinners saved by grace. The, the Proverbs here are a book of wisdom zeroing in on the snare of adultery. Now, adultery is a sin, and it's a destructive one because it literally shatters the marital covenant. When you and I... Those are, how many of us are married here today that will admit it in public? <laughs> Praise God, brave people. When you and I come up to the altar and we get married, the, the, the pastor comes and he, and he, and what he's doing, he's standing in the place of God, he's speaking the word, going through the vows, and God is taking two people and bringing them together in a marital covenant and making the two one flesh. That's a miracle. Once, you see this, once this is joined together, you, it's not easily ripped apart. So understand, adultery is, is such a destructive sin because it shatters the marital covenant. And Jesus himself said that pretty much adultery is the only valid biblical reason for divorce. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 19, 8 through 9. He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives from the beginning. It was not so. And I say to you, Jesus speaking, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. What a, what a precarious little minefield for our generation here. This whole idea of divorce and remarriage. And the point that I'm making in the context of this study is that adultery is basically the only thing Jesus said that, you know, that's grounds for divorce. Why? Because you've shattered the marital covenant in such a way that it can be difficult to be put back together. Now, it's not impossible. And just because there is infidelity in a marriage doesn't mean you have to divorce. Come on. Come on. Is your heart still hard? Should we get Moses out here? He said, Moses let you guys divorce because you, you, your hearts were hard. You came up with all kinds of reasons. If you saw the reasons in the Old Testament that they came up with that a man and a woman could get divorced, it would make your head spin. She doesn't cook good. She gained too much weight. There was one other thing. If she had bad breath, you could divorce her. Too much garlic, honey. I'm out of here. And so these guys came up with all these things, and Jesus is like, no, the only thing that really jeopardizes a marriage to the point where, you know, it, divorce is 
something that can even be entertained is where adultery has taken place. Why? Because the marital covenant has been shattered and it needs to be put back together. Now, our culture has categorically rejected biblical morality. Hello. See me holding this thing up here? This is the word of God. It contains God's wisdom and his morality, his, his, uh, his view on all of the things he created and how it should function. And, and the world has said, forget that. We're going to do our own thing. We're going to make up our own morality, and we're going to just do whatever we want to do. And understand that that's the world that we live in right now. And look, older people, when we grew up, it was bad, but it's worse now. And what our children face in school from an early age, man, when we were playing with blocks and drinking milk and sleeping on our little carpets, now they're trying to jam all kinds of nonsense down their throats about sexuality that little children have no business even thinking about. Come on. It's crazy out there. We, 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 we've seen a world gone crazy. Why? Because we, we've rejected God. And when I say we, I don't mean Christians. I don't mean full gospel center. I mean the culture we live in. And, you know, sometimes I get tired of this we, we. We've done this and we've done that. And we've allowed boy, and a we. I ain't speaking French here. Not me. I didn't vote for that. I don't believe in that. I don't support that. I don't do that. Do you? No. Sometimes you got to stop speaking French. Wee, 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 wee. No. Mm. But our, our culture is, is, is dark and it's aggressive. And our, our children are thrust into it from an early age. And our children literally have no chance to remain pure unless we, the church, and their parents step in and give them a biblical foundation for purity. Amen. So verse 21 highlights the necessity of parents laying a moral foundation in their children's life. It starts off by saying, my son. Say, my son. It could have just said, my daughter. We have sons and daughters. We are parents. Uh, you know, here's the writer of Proverbs just starting off with my son. He says, my son, keep your father's command and do not forsake the law of your mother. So look at that. The father brings commands and mom lays down the law. Anybody? Anybody remember being a child, amen? My mom was a sheriff. She laid down the law. My dad told us to do things, and we did it. Some of you were looking at me like, you don't even know what this means. Yeah. We used to listen, remember that? Or, or we didn't get a time out. We got taken out, <laughs> right? Every generation has gotten easier and easier, and now, now, now the young people don't listen at all. They run, they run the house. We've, we've gone too far to the other extreme. And, you know, our children don't even have a chance to be pure in this world. They're under attack from the minute they walk outside of our homes, you know, all through the school system, all through, you know, from kindergarten to college. They're, they're being pushed an agenda that's not biblical, that if they believe it and give themselves over to it, it'll destroy their souls. Now, here the, the, the text is saying, my son, and right out of the gate, this is a, a depiction of a parent speaking directly to their own children. My son, my daughter. What, a parent speaking into the life of their children? This is important that we get this. It's not the church's job to raise your kids and teach them everything about God. It's not the school's job to do it. It's not the teacher or the college professor. Come on, put your hands together. It's your job. It's my job. Amen. Well, I just don't know what's going on with these kids today. Well, well, well put your phone down and start, you know, getting involved in their life. 
or, or, or look what they're doing on their computers or, or watch with the friends that they're hanging out with. We're all intoxicated with the trinkets and the gadgets and the distractions of this world, and we're losing a generation. Oh, it's too late. You're here now. The doors are locked. You're stuck. You might as well say amen. My son, speaking directly into life of their own children. Now, understand, God disciplines his own children. He speaks into the life of his own children. As parents, we have got to speak into the lives of our own children directly, honestly, and biblically imparting something to them. Mom and dad, before you can reach the world for Jesus, you've got to reach your own children for Jesus. Our children are our first sheep. They are our first responsibility. God puts it on us to train them in the ways of the Lord, amen, to impart to them biblical wisdom and understanding and demonstrate an example for their lives. And when we mess up and screw up, we need to say, I was wrong, I'm sorry. Look, I'm a work in progress too, come on. We need to be transparent with our children. My son, speaking directly in, imparting something. Mom and dad, you know, I've seen preachers who want to reach the world, and they're preaching here and preaching there, and their own marriages fall apart, and their children didn't get any time with them, and their, their children don't serve God. And, I, and, and, and I, don't, I never wanted to do that as a minister. I watched other people's families and marriages implode, and you say, well, Pastor Rick, why aren't you at every meeting and every service and every this and every that? Because I have a wife and children that I, they are my first sheep, Amen. Sometimes, sometimes I'm not there. We got, Pastor Mike, we got other people running and leading things. I'm out of the house every night of the week trying to keep this together. I covet your prayers. But we have to minister to our own children and stop trying to push it off and hope somebody else would do it. Amen. Now, I understand as parents, we, 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 we speak and we show an example and stuff. And sometimes, you know, let's be honest, the hardest people to train are our own children. You know why? Because they see us all the time, and they, you know, they, they, they hear us all the time, and they, they've known us since they were born. And they're like, I ain't listening to you. What do we do then? We pray. You know, prayer is one of those powerful things you can do to your children. Hear the, the writer of Proverbs saying, my son, but sometimes we need to get on our knees before God when our children don't listen. And, and Father in heaven, listen to me, my son, my daughter, my children, they need you. They need a breakthrough. They need you to move in their life. They need you to be real to them, God. They need you to move on their hearts. And we can pray, you know, and then we pray, and, they, and then they come up with an idea, and they're like, you know, I decided that, uh, you know, I'm going to do this, I'm going to read my Bible. I'm gonna, well, I'm glad you came up with that yourself. Shh. Keep praying. Keep praying. My son, keep your father's command. Do not forsake the law of your mother. Speaking into the life of this child, you know, it's our responsibility to create an open dialogue with our children about any subject, but specifically about sexuality. Why? Because the world is so aggressive in this area, we've got to get ahead of the curve. Now, back in the day, you know, some of us older folks remember, back in the day, you would get the talk about the birds and the bees. Smile. It's okay to smile in church. 
And I don't know, you know, the birds and the bees, I don't know where they came up with this stuff, but you had to give your kids the talk. And, you know, by the time the talk was over, you didn't like birds and you were a little suspicious of bees and you don't know what you just heard and you're like, what? Now I'm confused and I need more counseling than when we started. But the truth is we've got to speak it to our children's lives and we have to do it quickly. Why? Because many times we're, we're behind because the world's way ahead of us. They're hitting them in kindergarten, and it's like, well, it's too awkward. I don't want to talk about that now. And By the time you get there, it, it may be too late. They may, may, they may think they, they know it already. Reminds me of two parents who had a 13-year-old son, and the mother said, I think it's time you give Junior the talk. And she pushed the father into the bedroom, and two hours later, he comes out of his son's bedroom, and he looks a little disheveled, and his wife says, well, how did it go? And he said, good, I guess I, I learned a lot. Sometimes, sometimes these kids have been force-fed all this stuff. And, and I mean, you're like, they, they think they know that they know. So parents, we've got to get ahead of the curve, and we've got to open a dialogue, and we've got to speak directly into their lives. And you say, well, when do I do it, Pastor? Be open to the Holy Spirit to lead you in the perfect timing, Amen. But get the word of God into them. Get the truth into them. I know it's awkward. I know maybe it's a conversation you don't think you're prepared for. But get prepared for it and get involved because we have to get in there. There are first sheep and their souls are on the line. And the world is really aggressive. And it's time that we get in the game. Amen. Be honest with them. Be transparent with them. Be real with them. Oh, I don't want to tell them the things I did. Well, use wisdom. Some of you, only God should know, but use wisdom so they don't make the same mistakes that we did, amen? God will allow us to affect our children if we take our job seriously enough to get on our knees and pray about the, implica- the application of what God wants us to do. Notice both parents here, it's father and mother, father and mother. They both have an important role in shaping the morality of their children. It's a father's command and a mother's law. A father and a mother it takes to bring up children with solid values and a solid morality. God designed it that way. So fathers have a part to play and mothers have a part to play, amen? You can't just push it off on one or the other. Well, I'm not good with that stuff, so I'm just, well, you know, that's too much for me. And I'm Listen, we've all got to do our part. Now, a father should teach his sons how to treat a lady. Uh, The ladies are getting excited. I'm getting to you. Fathers need to teach their sons how to treat a lady, how to treat a, a woman of God. The Bible says that, you know, when we're unmarried and even we're, when we're courting, dating, we should treat the opposite sex like a brother or a sister. The world sexualizes everything, even from when kids are little. But we need godly men to teach their sons how to treat a lady. We need godly men to train their daughters to know what kind of man that they should have in their life, how how a man should treat them. I know fathers who date their daughters. They take them out. They open the door for them. They push the seat in for them. They treat them like a lady so they know when, you know, Joey Knucklehead wants to go out on a date that, you know, Mr. Player, Player, Player better not treat you like that. Better treat you like a lady. And young people, don't, don't settle for just whatever's out there. 
If, if some guy is rude and disrespectful to you, cut him loose, man. I, he's not for you. Look, young, young men, if you got a lady, she's disrespectful, she's pushy, she's, she's disrespectful to her father and her mother, cut her loose. She's not worth your time. Not worth your time. When I dated my wife, I saw the way she responded to her parents, how she treated her mother, how she spoke to her father, and I said, okay. I might have got the last one. Sorry. (laughs) But we've each got a part to play in the development of our children. Fathers got to teach their sons, and they got to teach their daughters. Mothers have to teach their sons how to be a gentleman. My mom always said to me when I was young and I was a Christian, I started dating, be a gentleman. I knew what she meant. Be respectful. Keep your hands to yourself. Be a gentleman. You know, mothers need to teach their daughters how to respect a man, how to serve. You're helpmates. You're supposed to come alongside. Listen, G.I. Jane, you're not supposed to be the boss. You're supposed to come alongside and be a helpmate. We're raising a generation of people that don't know how to serve. A man sitting on the couch with the remote control glued to his belly button. A woman's in the kitchen going, I don't cook. I don't clean. I don't know who's going to do this. I ain't making no friends this morning, but I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I've been doing this for 30 years. I've counseled you all. I've counseled your kids. My wife and I have left the counseling room like we just got off a roller coaster ride some days. What is going on? Nobody knows nothing. Oh, you're all quiet. Well, welcome to Full Gospel Center where we tell the truth in love. So we've got to be involved, and we've all got a part to do. And I thank God for the training of my parents. I thank God for the godly leaders in my life that trained me, amen. Marriage is hard enough, but if you go into it untrained with unrealistic expectations and everybody wants to be served and nobody wants to serve and nobody wants any roles to play, it's no wonder why the divorce rate in the church mirrors that in the world. So we've got to do better. Our children are exposed to things so early. We need to get in the game, church. When these things that fathers and mothers should teach according to the word of God are not taught in the home as God intended, that's when we see this uptick of immorality and family strife and marital dissatisfaction. Why? Because people haven't been trained properly, and and, and you lock them up in, in, in in a house together, and it's fireworks. But if we train our children, and none of us are perfect, and none of us are the perfect example, but if we do our best before God, he will honor that, and he will bless them by our obedience. So when we hear a father's command and a mother's law, right away two words should jump out at us, command and law. Say command. Say law. In the Old Testament, Moses gave the law, and in the law were the Ten Commandments. What's being shown here in the Father's command and a mother's law is that we need to go back to the biblical foundations of the Old Testament to give our children a foundation for moral living. The Mosaic law, when when Moses gave the law, you had to keep the law to be saved. Now in the covenant of grace through Jesus Christ, we're not saved by keeping the law. You know what they discovered trying to keep the law? They couldn't do it. Now, the only thing the Ten Commandments does is show us our need for God. If you've ever tried to keep the Ten Commandments, usually, I mean, if you get up at 9, by 10 a.m., you've blown it already. 
Why? Because our flesh is just inherently sinful, and, you know, we, we, we can't keep these things, and they're to show us that we need God and we need grace, but teaching them now to this generation is very important. Why? Because it shows them they need God, and they need grace. And now because of the cross, they can find it and develop a relationship with Jesus that will keep them from the snares of this world. So parents, that law and those commandments, they need to be taught. I found something uh, on the Internet. It was a little plaque that you could put in your children's room. It was called the Children's Ten Commandments. And it was kind of, you know, it was kind of, you know, dumbed down a little bit, a little bit low speeds, you know, so, you know, you know, you can understand it. So it would be good for us. You're the children's Ten Commandments. I don't know about you, but I need simple stuff, right? And I start, it gets too complicated. I'm like, ah, you lost me. This is easy. Number one, love God more than anything else. That's the first commandment. Hey, child of God. Hey, little child of God. Here's the first thing God wants you to know. Love God more than anything else. Number two, don't make anything more important than God. Because that becomes an idol. When something's more important to me than God, I've made an idol out of that thing. Number three, always say God's name with respect. God's last name is not damn. Jesus is not a curse word. His name is to be revered. Our culture uses God's name like a curse word. Our children need to remove that from their lips. Why? Because the Bible says he who uses the Lord's name in vain will not be what? anybody know it would not be held blameless you know it i hear this over here anybody who uses the name of the lord will not be held blameless and we got a cursing generation breaks my heart to hear young people using the lord's name in vain honor god by resting on the seventh day one day in seven rest honor god today when you're done listening to me and you're all exhausted and you eat your lunch go home Spend time in the presence of God. Recharge your batteries, amen? If you do that, God will honor you and strengthen you and bless your week. Love and respect your father and mother. Can I get an amen on that? Don't hurt people. Number six, you know, all this murdering and killing and, and thieving and stealing that's going on in our generation. People have no respect for life. Don't hurt anybody. Number seven, be faithful to your spouse. That's what we're talking about here today. So simple, a child can understand it. Don't do anything with anyone else that you wouldn't do in the presence of your spouse. Don't take, a, don't take what isn't yours, amen? You know that stealing stuff? Still not a good idea. That supply closet at your job is not your personal shopping grounds. Always tell the truth. Be happy with what you have and don't want other people's stuff. So simple a child could understand it. Yet we have to understand it and apply it to our hearts and, and get it in our children's hearts. And you say, what, what, what's the point here, Pastor Rick? Why, why is the Ten Commandments, you know, so important? We're New Testament Christians. That's Old Testament stuff. Listen to me. Jesus boiled down the whole law and the commandments into, into one, and he says it here in Mark 12, 28. One of the teachers of the religious law were standing there listening to the debate. So Jesus is going back and forth with the religious folks. And he realized that Jesus answered well. So he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus replied, the most important command is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God 
is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. So love God and love your neighbor. Jesus boils it all down. When we teach our children to love God and not serve idols and to put him first, we've got a child that has a foundation that can keep them all the days of their life. When we teach children to love other people more than they love themselves, let's face it, it's easy to love yourself more than everybody else. It's all about me and what I want, and then that's the flesh. But we've got to teach children from a a young age to consider others better than themselves. You say, why is it so important that they love God and they love others? Well, Jesus said it was the greatest command. But, you know, this verse here is showing us that children who love God and love others more than they love themselves will find it much easier to deny their flesh and to embrace moral purity. You see the soul that says, I want what feels good. I want to do what I want to do. I don't want to listen to anybody. It's me first. I want to take mine. And li-. That is the person that's going to reject God's morality because they've been conditioned to put themselves first rather than God and others. So verse 20 through 21 is going to continue here, giving us wise counsel. It says, We've kind, of, we've kind of fleshed out 20, but listen to 21. Bind them, what? The commands of your father and the laws of your mother. Bind them continually upon your heart. Tie them around your neck. That's pretty serious, isn't it? Bind it to your heart, man. Uh, you know, the heart's a delicate thing. Tie it around your neck. Anything you tie around your neck, you better be careful about. I had been wearing ties since kindergarten. When I was in kindergarten, I was in Catholic school. They put me, they dressed me up and they clipped a tie on me. And then all through school, tie, 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 went to Bible school. Guess what? Ties. Ties are of the devil. That's a whole. But when you bind something around your neck, it's, you know, it's significant. And here's the scripture telling us to, you know, keep and do not forsake, to bind and to tie. Uh, this verse is reminding us that we have actively got to protect and defend what's been placed in our heart from God. What our parents placed in our heart, it needs to be protected and defended. Why? Because the minute that we walk outside, the minute that we leave church, the minute our kids go out that front door every day, everything we've taught them and trained them and shown them and put in their heart is under assault and under attack. And the enemy wants them to reject it. And the enemy wants them to exchange the truth of God for a lie. We raise our kids, we love our kids, we we try and raise them right, and then we send them off to college, and everything we taught them, and everything they learned in church, and everything the pastor said, and everything that, you know, they saw, they get to to college, and a professor stands up and says, that was all a lie, none of it's true, it's fables and fairy tales, your parents were wrong, I'm smarter, and here's what's right. And we pay 50, 60, 70, 100,000, we pay for that. It's insane. Some of them come home and they have a crisis of faith. They don't know who to believe anymore. You say, well, why don't they know? Because we've got to get it into their hearts so it's solid. We've got to teach them 
to, to bind it and to tie it so that it's safe, that they can protect it. When I was a young man and Jesus got a hold of me and I became born again, I began to read the word of God in massive amounts. I began to preach the gospel in coffee houses and, and youth groups in every place I could go. I was getting the word in me and it was flowing through me. And when someone would say, oh, oh that, that's wrong, this is right, there was something inside of me that right away said, no, that's wrong, this is right. Why? Because it was in my heart. And we've got to get it in our kids' hearts. It's not enough to just come to church and play church and sit here for an hour and go home and there's no, there's no presence of God in our homes. There's no, there's no family altar in our homes and we're, our kids are dying. Oh, God, help us. Give us wise counsel, 21, bind it and tie it. Because it's under attack, we've got to get it so close to our hearts, we've got to get it so tight around us that we would never exchange the truth of God's word for the lies of the world. Now, this world we live in, it screams a mantra, and the mantra is this, if it feels good, do it. And it's really hard to argue with that because when you feel something, we're sensual. You know, it's our senses, we, what we feel, what we see, what we touch, what we taste. And, and, and yeah, that's good. And I, and I want to do it. You know, it's kind of like, you, you know, if you've ever seen people in cultures that don't have processed food or something and you feed them a piece of sugar, you give the kids a piece of sugared candy and you see their eyes go, you've had this all along? And then all of a sudden, what do we want? We want sweet, we want sugar, we want candy. Our bodies want it all the time. And, and there has to be some level of self-control, of discipline, that we would bind the things to us and we would tie the things to us that would keep us safe. The world screams, if it feels good, do it. But sometimes it feels good when you do it, but it destroys you from the inside out. And it costs you more than you ever wanted to pay. And it takes away your innocence. And in the end, you wished you wouldn't have done it. Our world praises every kind of unbiblical sexual experimentation possible. You want to do this? You want to do that? You want to, oh, this? Oh, that's good. Fine. If that's what floats your boat, yeah, everybody, just do whatever you want. But do what the Bible says? No, don't do that. Everything's okay except doing it God's way. Everything's okay except doing it the way Jesus said. That's the world we live in. We live in a world that mocks those who choose to embrace purity. I remember when I was a youth pastor, we used to have these things on purity and teach the, the, the young, uh, you know, young adults to wait for marriage and to keep themselves, and they would go through a, a service and get a purity ring and all of that stuff. And you know what? The, the world used to laugh at us, write articles and say, ah, oh, you know, these people are so stupid, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, uh, they mock us. They laugh. They praise every kind of illicit sexual experimentation, but not God's way. They scream, if it feels good, do it. And the world sees the only downside to adultery is the possibility of getting caught. Well, as long as I get away with it and nobody knows, I, you know, no harm, no foul, I come out on top, right? Wrong. Whether we get caught or not, whether people see or not, whether exposed in the eyes of men or not, God sees. And these things take a toll on our souls. Fornication, adultery, pornography, all of these things take a toll on the human soul. Dr. Dobson, you know, one of the great Christian speakers of our era, he, he, he uses this illustration when he talks to teens about how a lack of purity will negatively affect their relationships in life. He says, when I'm talking to teens, I use the illustration 
about the bonding capacity of adhesive tape. Adhesive tape is not made for repetitive use. The strongest bond adhesive tape is capable of making is formed with the first surface that it's applied to. You can remove the tape and reapply it if you want to other surfaces. You can do it several times, and it may stick. However, with every application, some of the adhesive properties are compromised and gone. Finally, if you continue to do it, it won't stick to any surface. God intended that the bond between married people, the sexual bond within the, within the bounds of marriage, would be the closest, strongest bond that humans could have. And he, this is why the Apostle Paul said that the body is not for fornication. You see, we're like that piece of tape, and every time we bond to someone physically, sexually, and, and we're torn apart again, we leave a piece of us behind, and we do it over and over, and we do it over and over, and we leave a piece of us behind to the point that now we can't stick to the person that God wanted us to connect with. And there's walls, and there's boundaries, and there's hang-ups, and there's baggage that people bring into marriage. Young people, God's way works. Keep yourself. Save yourself. Stick to the one that God has purposed for you, and it'll be the greatest bond that you'll enjoy for a lifetime. The world's lying to you. Sin steals from us. It takes a piece of us with it. We're wise to apply the truth here. Look what it says that we're, you know, to bind around our neck. We already talked about that. Uh, and, and, and to our hearts you know, that binding and tying is showing us that we need to hold on tightly to, to God's values, to God's ways, to, to the things that those uh, who loved us and mentored us and the, our preachers and pastors put in our hearts from the word of God. You know, that binding and tying reminds me of when I, when I was reading this, I was thinking about kids in school. You ever see them kids in school that, you know, they lose everything? All right, it was me. I lost everything. I'd lose hats and gloves and scarves, and I'd get new clothes. I'd wear them once and lose them. I remember coming home. My mom's like, where's your vest? I'm like, gone, never seen it again. And there would always be those kids that their parents would, like, you know, sew or tie or, or you know, there was kids that had, like, ropes going through their winter jackets with their mittens tied to them. You ever see that kid? Some father had had it. He went to the garage. He got the rope. He's like, yeah, yeah, this will do. And he saw it. And then the kid's got the glove. He takes the glove off. The glove is still there. You know, he can't lose it at all. It's the same kid that's got his hat sewn it. You know, it's sewn into the hood of the jacket. You put the hood on the hat. It's all one piece. Woo. We lose stuff, and we've got to bind them, we've got to tie them, we've got to secure them and protect them so that we don't lose the important things because our souls get damaged when we lose the important things. Now, verse 22 through 23 close out the portion of text we're looking at here today, and they're going to give us four benefits of, of binding and tying this godly teaching to our lives. Listen, listen to 22 through 23. When you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. And when you awake, they will speak with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the law is a light. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life. In those two verses, there are four benefits we get from hanging on to the godly instruction of our parents and pastors that God put in our heart. Number one, we get a moral compass to guide us. Look what it says. When you roam... 
when you're out there in the world, when you're finding your way, when you're going from place to place, when you roam, they will lead you. More than anything else, our generation needs a moral compass because we have a generation that doesn't know what's right, what's wrong. It's confusing out there. They've not grown up in church. The churches that they went to have watered down the truth of the gospel so badly they can't get enough life out of it to live by, and, and they're confused. We need a moral compass. If you've ever tried to navigate, you know, without a compass in the wilderness, you know, man, it's scary. I've been in huge tracts of land out in the woods where there's no houses, there's no roads, there's no nothing. One time I walked for 16 hours straight. And I'm telling you, without a compass, you're lost. When we bind and tie the truth of God's word to our hearts, we have a moral compass to navigate any situation. Number two, we not only get a moral compass, but the second benefit is we get a covering to keep us. Look what it says. When you sleep, they will keep you. So uh, how many like to have a covering in your life? Someone who's got your back. Amen. When, you know, I know that no matter what's going on in my life, I can call my dad and he's got my back. I, I can call my family that, you know, uh, and, and, I got, and I got a covering. And look at this covering that we have when we bind and tie the truth to our life. Even when we're asleep, we're not conscious. We're not even awake. That's the most vulnerable state we could be in. I used to sleep really light like a cat. You know, like I was, if I heard a noise, I'm up. Now I think I could sleep through a rocket attack. My kids come home at all different hours from work and stuff, and I don't even know they came home. I don't even know where I am. I feel, I feel there's, a, there's something next to me. Is that? I'm going to look at my wedding picture. Yeah, it's my wife. We need to be covered. We need somebody to have our back. And look what it says here. Even when we're asleep, when you sleep, they will keep you. What? The principles and the statutes and the, the truth of God's word, they'll cover us. So we get a moral compass. We get a covering that protects us. Number three, we get the ability to see spiritual truth. Look what it says. A lamp and a light in the darkness. A lamp and a light in the darkness will shine the light in the darkness and dispel it so we can see what's going on. The truth of God's word in our life allows us to see spiritual truth. Do you ever get around people that the truth is obvious and what's going on and they can't see it at all? And you talk to them about it and they act like you're crazy. Why is that? Because they're in the dark and they can't see in the dark. And they, they think what they see or what they feel is something different. Oh, I got, a, I got a large treasure of gold in my life. And you turn the lights on, it's a stone. Well, they couldn't see it, but you and I can because we have the light. I don't want to be deceived. I don't want to be tricked. I don't want to go after the ghosts and the shadows and the deception. I want to be able to see the truth and to bind the things that God has placed in our hearts since we were little children, the good things that were taught to us, they will be a light for us in the darkness. Number four, we get the last benefit, which is the conviction and correction of the Holy Spirit. Look what it says. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life. We have the Holy Spirit in us as the umpire of our soul. 
So when someone says, oh, no, this is the way it is now. No, it's, it's wrong. Someone says, well, that's not what the Bible meant right there. It really means this. No, that's wrong. I hear all kinds of things. You know, people say, well, the Bible didn't really mean that, or that doesn't apply today, or this is not for this. And I'm like, it's not in there. The Holy Spirit is in my heart going, no, that's wrong. No, that's wrong. No, that's wrong. Could you imagine trying to find truth without that, in the dark, without a light? Look at that. It says reproofs here. What is it talking about? The conviction and the correction of the Holy Spirit. When you and I do something wrong, we're convicted by God. That's a gift, amen? Look, don't ever despise the correction of the Lord. Don't ever be like, man, every time I do something, all I, you know, every time I, everything I do is wrong. Well, he's correcting you because he loves you. He's correcting you because he considers you his child. God's not one of those parents that corrects other people's children. You ever see these people that want to correct everybody's kid? Their kids are going crazy. Your kid did this. Your kid did that. That's not God. God's correction, God's conviction in our life is proof of sonship, proof that we're daughters, proof that we belong to him, amen? So never despise the correction of the Lord. Look, it says reproofs of instruction are the way of life. So all of these benefits come to us when we bind and tie the truth of God's word to our lives. There's so much more in the text here as we proceed to, you know, to cover this topic of adultery and sexual sin. It's such a needed topic that we cover. Uh, I want us just to bow our heads now and let's pray that we are able to affect our children, the next generation, to give them a godly foundation that would stand the attacks of this world. Father, I pray for every parent here, for every young person. I pray for grown adults that are still struggling with morality, that are still struggling with fornication and adultery and pornography and all of these things that are destructive to our souls. Father, I pray today that you would reach into our hearts and heal the broken areas of our hearts, that you would bind that truth around our neck once again, that we would protect it and hold on to it. And Father, where we've sinned, that we would repent and allow you to forgive us and restore us. Father, I pray that we would not let this generation down, but that we would have the courage to boldly speak to them, to tell them what the Bible says, to tell them what makes their soul safe, and what is a dangerous condition to live in. I pray for that boldness in Jesus' name. Amen.